Well, I've entitled the message this morning, Forgive. And as I was thinking about it, I, uh, uh, I didn't know if I was going to title it Forgiveness or Forgive. And you're thinking, well, that doesn't seem like a very big distinction. It seems like you're laboring over something for nothing. But the reason why I settled on forgive is because forgiveness is kind of the topic. But the reality is, is forgive is, is a command. It is, is it emphatic. We're, we're not just supposed to, to know about forgiveness and be and approve of forgiveness, but we're actually commanded to forgive. Amen? Amen. Well, let's go ahead and bow our head as we come to the Word this morning. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your great love. Lord, I pray this morning, particularly as we are studying a topic that uh, all of us are aware of, but the reality is that sometimes it's tough to forgive, Lord. So I pray this morning that our hearts would be ready to receive what you've given us, Lord, and that we would leave here different than we came in. Father, with an understanding of the purpose of forgiveness, with an, a revelation of the reason why we're to forgive, we want to grow and mature this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to know that forgiveness is a central part of the Christian faith. It is... The reality is, as we're going to see today, that our righteousness actually depends on our forgiveness. And how we respond to others is a direct response to the understanding and revelation that we have that we ourselves have been forgiven. Because the, what happens is, is, if we don't understand that we've been forgiven, if we don't truly grip that, we tend to not forgive others. But if you have an understanding of how much you've forgiven, the natural response is to forgive others. And the reality is, is that um, I've had things that I've had to forgive in my life. Now, before Blake and Medea got married, you guys don't know this, but uh, we're all sitting around the house, and we're all talking, and somehow it came up, this idea about me being, and I don't even think they were talking about getting married yet, but there's this idea about uh, me becoming a, the, her father-in-law, and she said it would be her worst nightmare. Oh. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> and, uh, but it's okay, because I've forgiven her for that, amen? Oh. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, I know. I cried for days. It was terrible. <laughs> but you know what? We have to forgive. Because the enemy wants to use stuff like that to build bitterness and anger in our heart. And it's in, if we don't forgive, the result of that unforgiveness actually causes those emotions to stir up inside of us and to, to make us look at people differently than we should. We also have to understand that forgiveness is not approval. I think so many people struggle with forgiving because they think that if they forgive somebody, what they're saying is, is what they did was okay. And that's not the truth. That's not the reality. Forgiving has nothing to do with their actions. It doesn't have to do with approving of their actions. How do I know this? Because God doesn't, doesn't approve of our shortcomings. God doesn't approve of our failures and our sin, yet he still forgives us anyway. Amen. When we sin even now, even after you're a Christian, God doesn't approve of it, yet he continues to forgive. And the reality is, is that forgiveness is more than just words. It's an attitude of heart. And it's possible because of our changed hearts. 
Now, before I go on, I got to uh, pull me day out from underneath the bus. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's a couple things I got to share first. <laughs> that conversation that we were having, it was uh, the result of crosstalk. There was two different conversations going on, and somehow, I think she was talking with Michelle, and I was talking with Blake, and somehow the idea of me being a, a father-in-law came up, and she was talking to Michelle about something else, but right at that moment, she said, that would be my worst nightmare. So she really didn't say that I would be your worst nightmare. But the reason she got to make the sermon this morning is for this. You know, one of the things that all my kids hate, and, and uh, particularly Medeus, and she's joined the family, is this always afraid of making the sermon. <laughs> and she's always been so terrified of her, so I tease her about it all the time. Matter of fact, when we would all be getting together, I would intentionally wear my shirt that said, Careful, you're going to make my sermon, just to give her a hard time. And... Uh, <laughs> but last night, last Friday, we had dinner. And she said, you know what? I'm tough enough now. It doesn't even bother me. I'm not afraid. I said, good. I can finally use, an, use you in a sermon. And she goes, I said, I'm going to use that one. When you told me that I would be your worst nightmare as a father, she's like, you know what? You wouldn't be able to find a way to work it into a sermon. So I wrote an entire sermon just to, just to get that. No, just kidding. <laughs> but it's funny, this... <laughs> They say that they didn't come today because they were sick. Blake and Midea are gone. They're not feeling well. That's what they say. I think it's because she knew she was going to make the sermon. <laughs> Hallelujah. But the good news is, it still fits. Because as we're talking about forgiveness, now the challenge is to her to forgive me for what I just did. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. So forgive me, Midea, but I told you you'd make it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. All right. You guys have done enough distracting me. Let's go ahead and get forward with the message. Matthew 6, chapter 14 through 15, it says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. How many know that's a tough statement? <laughs> what it's saying is that if we refuse to forgive others... God will refuse to forgive us. This isn't uh, unclear language. This isn't something where, I mean, it just flat out says it, right? If you forgive others, your Father, Heavenly Father, forgive you. If you do not forgive others, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you. But we do need to take a look at what this is actually saying. Because if we're not careful, we could read into it like this, like, man, I, I wasn't forgiving somebody, so right now I'm in jeopardy. This isn't about working for your forgiveness. It's not like some uh, 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 cosmic balance check seat that says, all right, I'm forgiving, so I'm forgiven. But if I, if I don't forgive, then all of a sudden I'm in jeopardy of losing my salvation. Because this would be in contrast to the rest of Scripture if that were the case. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, but it's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. So take comfort in knowing that your salvation, your forgiveness is secure in your faith in Jesus Christ, not about the checklist of things you do as you live your life. Amen? If your trust is in Him. So what does this statement mean? I believe that it means that if we don't forgive, it shines a light on the reality that maybe we haven't truly understood and received that free gift of forgiveness ourselves. You see, because if you had received it, 
you would have a recognition of the greatness of the forgiveness that you have received, a true revelation of what that entailed, and the natural result of that is that you would want to extend the same thing to others. It's, it's about understanding what you've been forgiving and extending that to others. Now, I'm not talking about specific instances where you have struggled to forgive. There have been times in my life where it's been harder for me to forgive, other, forgive than other times. Sometimes it comes very easy. Sometimes you've got you to gotta work at it. There are times that we all have to work through that difficulty. So we still have to make that choice to forgive. And sometimes it, it takes a while to rein in your emotions. It takes a while to, to get your head in check so that you can make that choice. But there is steady growth. There's, there's steady moving forward. There's a recognition that you want to forgive. You're just having trouble with it. What I'm talking about when you fall into this camp is that where you're making a conscious choice not to forgive. It's not like you're going, Pastor Wayne, I'm trying so hard to forgive them, but it's hard. I just can't get over what they did. It's when you go, Pastor Wayne, I don't care what you say and what, the God, what, what God says. I'm not forgiving them no matter what. They don't deserve my forgiveness. You see the difference in attitude. One is a rejection of the reality of forgiveness, and the other is is understanding that you need to and a desire to but still struggling through it there's a difference and i think that's what it's talking about here is 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 if you're going to choose to not forgive others it's because you don't have an understanding of what you've already been forgiven and i think i can show you that in scripture matthew 6 sorry Matthew 18, 23 through 27, it says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So first thing I understand, this is a parable that Jesus is telling. And this is a, uh, really a depiction of the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and the king here is a picture of God. And Jesus often taught in parables, so it would be easy for us to understand. And I'm glad, because you guys are all pretty smart, but sometimes it takes a little while for stuff to, to, to get through my skull. So... The, the easier teaching and writing makes it good for me. Hallelujah. So let me give you some context about this debt that's been forgiven. It says that he was owed 10,000 talents. In our head, we don't get what that means. You know, you read that and you're like 10,000, that's a big number. It must be a lot. Talent, you know, our number of currency is dollars. So we're like, I mean, that's a pretty big debt, you know, we 10,000 talents. But let me, let me do some math for you. A talent was equivalent uh, to be about 75 pounds. So when you had a talent of something, it was 75 pounds. This wasn't a small amount of something. That'll make you think when you start to talk about David's uh, crown, which was actually made out of one talent of gold set with stones. Can you imagine having a 75 to 100 pound crown on your head? (laughs) 
If you read your Bible's footnotes, and this is what mine says, and it says that a talent is worth about 20 years' wages of the common worker. So the day laborer, the common worker. So to translate into U.S. dollars, the federal minimum wage, even though the minimum wage in Arizona is higher, but let's just go with the federal minimum wage, which is $7.25 an hour right now. One year of wages would be about $15,000, $15,080. One talent is 20 times that. So now we're up to $301,000, so 301,600, and times that by 10,000, 10, and now we're up to $3 billion, $16 million. Do you get the debt that this guy had now? 10,000 talents, like, yeah, what's that? Today's money, that's $3 billion, somewhere around there. Even if I'm off by a billion, it's still a lot of money, right? <laughs> Even if I'm off by a third. <laughs> the reason this is important is because it's important for us to understand how much debt was actually forgiven. How much this king forgave this man. I mean, it was a big deal. Like, if the king knew that he was never going to get his money back. It's like, you know what? We're just going to sell him and his whole family into slavery. Like, there's, there's nothing we can do. But then the man begged him and said, hey, have mercy on me. Have patience. And it's interesting because it says, I will pay you everything. And the king knows he's not going to pay everything. He can't pay that back. So he says, you know what? I will forgive you the debt. And he just wipes the slate clean. This is what God is like with us. We're standing before him with a debt that cannot be paid. We can never pay that debt. There's nothing that you can do to pay that debt. But instead of sending us off, he forgives us of all of our debt that is owed because of sin. And what we owe because of our sin makes $3 billion look like a pittance. It's nothing compared to what we actually owe. Amen. And in Matthew 18... 28 through 35, it continues. It's the same story. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. <laughs> so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And you should not have had mercy on your fellow and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Like I said, this is that same servant that we just, we just read about. It's just a continuation in Scripture. And, you, and remember, he had just been forgiven. We're going to talk in today's terms. $3 billion. And as soon as he gets home, he goes after his fellow servant. Now, a denarii is about a day's wages. And here we have 100 denarii. 
5,800 bucks. So this man who's just been forgiven $3 billion goes after his fellow servant for six grand. And then we also see anger and violence as well. He doesn't just go after him, but when he couldn't pay, he begins to choke him. That's what it says. Oops. He refused to pay. Where are we at? Why do I feel like... Um, there it is. It says he refused and went to put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So he goes after him, seizes him, chokes him, says, pay what you owe. He's already angry, he's upset at him. When he can't pay, then he goes to throw him in prison. One of the things that can happen to us when we refuse to have mercy on other people, when we refuse to forgive, the result is bitterness and angerness that comes out like this. And then what happens is the other servants, they, they know what happened to this guy, and they go ahead and tell the king, right? They saw what took place. They're greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master, to the king, what had happened. And... Uh, because they understood. They're like, wait a minute. They knew what happened. They, they're like, this guy just got forgiven $3 billion, and now he's going after this guy for 6000 I mean, this is, this is crazy. And here's the thing. In our own lives, people will notice when you don't forgive. People are watching you. And there are, there are going to be other believers who are going to say, man, why are they having so much trouble forgiving? Don't they recognize what they've already been forgiven? Don't they understand the great debt that they've been forgiven, but they're holding on to, to unforgiveness with somebody else? And then non-believers are going to see it and go, man, why would I want to be a Christian? They look just like me already. Because that's what we're portraying. We're not showing something different. And something else important here, I think, is if we look at the amounts, it's the reason why Jesus used this parable, is when we refuse to, give, for, refuse to forgive anybody for anything, we're just like this man. We're squabbling over a few thousand dollars when we've been forgiven billions. When we look at what God has forgiven us, and what we're holding on to with something else, the, 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 the contrast is so great. It should actually blow your mind when you, when you just step a, take a step back and logically think, what has God already forgiven me? Like He's forgiven me so much, and I'm, I'm upset because this person stole my parking spot. I'm upset because this person cut me off in traffic. I mean, think about it. Some people get really upset over that stuff. So much so that they've taken a life because somebody cut them off in traffic or stole their parking spot. The truth is, is that we're, 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 we're crying over spilled milk in comparison to what we've already been forgiven. Amen? He said, well, Pastor, you don't, know, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how bad it was. You just don't understand. The truth is, is no matter what it is, no matter what it is, it is nothing compared to what Jesus paid for us. The grievance, our sin, caused God so outweighs the sins others have committed towards us. Because every sin is an affront to God. Very few of them are an affront to us.
Amen. When we talk about forgiving stuff that seems unforgivable, I want to share a story. And I cried earlier when I was studying my notes, so hopefully you'll see no crying this morning. Uh, I hope I pronounced her name wrong, but her name was uh, Coriette and Boom. And it says, Coriette and Boom and her family secretly housed Jews in their home during World War II. Their illegal activity was discovered, and Cori and her sister, uh, Betsy, were sent to the German death camp, Ravensbrück. There, Cori would watch many, including her sister, die. After the war, she returned to Germany to declare the grace of Christ. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeat Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth that they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture, maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I like to think that's where, that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And even though I cannot find a scripture for it, I believe God then places a sign out there that says, no fishing allowed. The solemn faces staring back at me, not quite daring to believe. And that's when I saw him working his way forward towards the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a cap with a skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. That place was Ravensbrook, and the man who was making his way forward had been a guard, one of the most cruel guards. Now he was in front of me, hands thrust out, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravens Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. And again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? As I stood there, I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive, Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that, God's forgiveness, the message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang to our joined hands, 
And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even then, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Of the people that didn't have a reason to forgive, this is one of them. I lived in Germany right before the wall came down, the, 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 the wall between East and West Germany, when it was East and West Germany. And right after the wall came down, I was, I don't know, 11 or 12 years old, it's in sixth grade. Um, we took a field trip into East Germany. And it was still very much Russian at that point because the wall had just came down. And if you didn't know, East Germany was occupied by the Russians at that time still. But we actually got to visit the concentration camps on this field trip and see what they endured, what they went through. If anybody had a right not to forgive, it was this woman. Yet she understood two things. One, that... that Forgiveness isn't an emotion, it's a choice. It's an act of the will. And she understood that by forgiving him, it didn't erase what happened to her sister or what happened to her. It didn't mean none of those things were okay. But nonetheless, when you recognize how much you're forgiven, the reality is, is that the natural response is to forgive others in the same way. Amen? And in the case of the slave that we're talking about here, the servant... By refusing to show mercy, he actually had rejected the mercy of his master. He didn't really believe that he had been forgiven. You see, he thought he had to be prepared when his master changed his mind. That's why he went after his death. He didn't really believe that he was forgiven. And the same thing is true of us when we consciously choose not to forgive. Like I said, I'm not talking about the things we struggle through. <laughs> But when we consciously make a choice not to forgive, well, I think that shows that we don't really believe that we're forgiven. And like I said, your, your salvation, your forgiveness is completely based on faith. Well, if you don't believe, that puts you in a tough spot, amen? In Matthew eight fifteen through 70, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one of the two brothers along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a gentle and a tax collector. So I've already talked about this reality that we need to forgive, but what does that look like in our lives? First, if something does something, if someone does something to you, you need to attempt to deal with it. They need to be given the opportunity to repent. And that's a hard thing, right? Somebody harms you. You don't want to give you don't want them to be restored. You want vengeance. You want them to have to pay for what happened. But the reality is is part of forgiveness is giving them the opportunity to repent, to be restored. You see, this isn't a witch hunt, this, this whole story here where it says, go tell him his fault, and if he doesn't listen, take him to the church, and if they uh, go, take him to another uh, uh, 
a person, if you, and you refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. This is not a, a witch hunt. This is not about putting somebody down. It's about giving them an opportunity to be restored. Amen. And even then, if somebody won't repent, even if we get all the way through stage three, we're still to forgive. We may need to distance ourselves from them. But that doesn't mean not to forgive them. It doesn't mean not to love them. Jesus said that it's easy to love your friends. Even the Gentiles do that. We're commanded to love our enemy. And it's also not talking about forgiveness immediately making everything back to better. Everything is not good. He says, listen, if they're not going to repent... At some point, they may even have to be treated as a Gentile on a tax clerk. That means that they, it, you don't need to be spending time with them anymore. You don't need to be hanging out with them anymore because maybe it's not good for you. Maybe it's not healthy, but you still need to forgive yourself. Jesus says, let them be as a Gentile or a tax collector. But you know what? Jesus still loved tax collectors. Amen? And if we go on in Matthew 23 through 24, it says, this is the, the, the other side of the coin. You know, it goes both ways. Matthew 5, 23-24 says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So the first example we looked at is if somebody has done so, um, something to you. Here it says that, uh, listen, remember that if your brother has something against you, that you need to go take care of it. If somebody is offended at you, you need to go take care of it. If you have sinned against somebody and you realize it, go to them. Go and repent yourself. Apologize. Ask them to forgive you. One of the most powerful things that you can do with somebody that you've hurt is apologize and just ask them to forgive you. The reality is, is that reconciliation is the responsibility of all of us. We're supposed to be loving one another. We're supposed to be lifting each other up, encouraging each other, and restoring each other when we have failed. And forgiveness is so important in the life of a Christian. Ephesians 4, 31-32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is so important to the Christian. And one of the things, that, and we talked about briefly already, but I think people struggle with is this idea that if they forgive somebody, they're basically saying what they did is okay. This isn't the truth. Sometimes we may still have to put our distance between somebody that has hurt us because it's for our own safety. You know, if, 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 if I had a friend who betrayed me and I was upset, but there was no repentance in their life, they didn't come and ask for forgiveness, they, they don't recognize wrongdoing, then the case may be that, that that relationship is going to change. Until that person repents and is ready to, to resolve the issue, then the reality is, is that I'm probably not going to be hanging out with them every day but I still need to forgive them. Another perfect example is, is if a, a woman is abused by her husband 
and she comes to me and, and, and he's not repentant and there's no uh, cause for reconciliation and he's, he's, not, he's unwilling to change, I might counsel her that, you know what, you need to, to move out. You, not, you need to stay away because it's not safe for you there. But I would still counsel her to forgive her husband. It doesn't mean that what he did was okay. It doesn't make the abuse okay. It doesn't even mean that she has to forget everything and, and move back in like, like nothing ever happened because it wouldn't be safe for her. But it's still important that she forgives because forgiveness is not about the transgressor. It is about you. The truth is the person you're forgiving probably isn't impacted one bit whether you forgive them or not. They probably don't even know you're upset. They don't care. Forgiveness is not about the person being forgiven, but it's about the person doing the forgiving because anger and bitterness, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, let it be put away because that stuff is destructive. And when we hold on to unforgiveness, that is the result of it. That's why these here are are. are, are are almost like bookends, right? Let all this stuff go and instead be kind, tenderhearted, and forgive. Because if you're not kind, tenderhearted, and forgive, the other result is you get this, bitterness, wrath, and anger. And when we hold on to stuff, it eats us up inside. It changes our attitude. It changes how we look at other people. It causes us to be critical. It causes others to not want to be around us when we're bitter and angry all the time. And I'm not even talking about your relationship with the one that you're upset with. It'll impact your relationships with everyone in your life when you hold on to this stuff because your attitude changes and unfortunately it leaks onto other people. Not only that, this has spiritual ramifications as well. <coughs> now the truth is there is a such thing as holy or righteous anger. But when your anger is directed at your brethren, then you start dealing with sin. Just like lust is adultery in your heart, anger is murder in your heart. The last scripture we just looked at before this one, in Matthew, if you read ahead of it, it says this in Matthew 21 through 22, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Church, don't ever think <laughs> that this stuff isn't important. Scripture says that being angry at your brethren is the equivalent of murder. I don't know about you, but when I read that kind of stuff, I just want to make sure that I'm repenting and get my head on straight. And so much of this stuff is a choice. I really like when we read that story about that lady. She said, listen, forgiveness isn't an emotion. You see, we can't control our emotions. They just come out. Forgiveness is a conscious choice, an act of the will. Because here's the thing. When we start acting like this, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. The Bible says this, that we're nearsighted and have forgotten that we were cleansed of our former sins when we let these come out. 
Second Peter 1, 5 through 9 says, For this very reason I make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. When we behave in this way, it's actually a demonstration of what we actually believe. Amen? In Acts 7, 59 through 60, this is about Stephen when he was being stoned. It says, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. For the astute among you, you know this means he died. He was stoned to death. And right before he was stoned to death, he says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Not only has he forgiven them, he asked God to forgive them for what they have just done. And this is a perfect example of someone forgiving when the trespasser did something egregious, in this case, taking his life. Jesus does something similar in Acts, uh, sorry, in Luke 23, 33 through 34, it says, And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then they cast lots to divide his garments. Jesus demonstrates this very principle of forgiveness himself. And I tell you what, if anybody had a case for anger, in bitterness and unforgiveness, it was Jesus and Stephen. I think they could make the case. Stephen's stone, Jesus is crucified. But even with all of this, both of them cried out to God that it would not be held against those who were doing it. And the process of being murdered, they had already forgiven their tormentors and asked God to do the same. You know, this is why I know that not only that we should forgive transgressions against us, but that it's possible. You know, the argument is, Pastor Wayne, you just don't know what they did to me. I can't forgive them. If these two can forgive, you can forgive. Because if you're standing here talking to me, whatever they did didn't lead to your death. Amen? Second Corinthians 2, 5 through 11 says, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Church, we need to make sure that we're forgiven one another. The truth is, forgiving any of those who have transgressed against us. And when we're dealing with people in the church, Part of that is, is this idea of restoration and, and, and reconciliation is so that somebody is not overwhelmed. That's what happened here. This person 
was, did something terrible. And Paul was actually concerned that if everyone held on to that unforgiveness and the natural result of that, that, that the idea here is this person was repentant <laughs> and he would have been overwhelmed by sorrow because he recognized that he hurt somebody. So Paul says, you know what, let us, let's re- let us reaffirm love to the one who sins, helping to reconcile them. It also helps to ease the bitterness and anger in our own heart. Relationships can be restored. And he says, listen, if I forgive anything, I've done it in the presence of Christ. And the reality is, is Jesus is, is our example. He is the king who has forgiven much. Amen? And then, you know, as we've already talked, forgiveness is more about the person forgiving than the one receiving forgiveness. If we fail or we hurt somebody, if you're repentant, you actually want to, just like that man went to, 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 the, to the, the lady, uh, Corey was her name, he says, listen, I know God's forgiven me, but I would like you to forgive me as well. We, if we hurt something, we have a desire to hear that we're forgiven. And that is helpful, but the most help is for the one actually doing the forgiving. And here's the thing, church. The devil wants us living in unforgiveness, in bitterness, in anger. That's one of his schemes, one of his designs. And Paul says this, listen, we forgive in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his designs. Church, when we forgive, not only are we helping to heal and repair ourselves, but we are eliminating one of the tools of the devil to impact our lives, our families, our churches. And we just need to, to live in obedience to the command. Like I said, I didn't call it forgiveness, I called it forgive. It's an imperative. It's something that we are to do. Amen?